So let's see about the levels. Well, sounds pretty good. it sounds pretty good. Get it right up on this. Oh, hey, old friend. It's been a while. I'm talking to the microphone. Also you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Welcome to Judo Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me, as always, is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And this is a much-anticipated, long-awaited episode 36, and let me just start by saying we're sorry. We're sorry there's been such a delay, I'm sure. Let me apologize to all 36 of our fans, starting with Justin's parents. Sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Adams, for, for our absence. I... I assume I assume we've been missed. Now, and there's really no. We good, have. There's no really good. Oh, we have. We've been missed. People have told you that. There have been comments. Oh, oh yeah. Where where did you find these comments? In person, mostly. They're like, "What's going on?" Every day I get up and there's no new Deuteronomy cannons. Something like that. Precisely. Oh. <laughs> okay. And I I gotta say, there's probably no real good excuse. I mean, other than just life. I lost my voice for a whole week. Th- there was that. That's a great excuse. I was out of town at one point. And I mean, it's the holidays this week, and yeah, I mean, it's been multiple, multiple weeks. So, anyways, we're gonna try to do better, and also, hopefully, in the near future, we'll relocate to uh, my house, and then it's less of a maybe less of a chore to be coming straight from work, which is what I do because we have we have real jobs, people. We do, we do. And so, anyways, that being said, go ahead and like, share, subscribe, comment on any whichever platform you're on, but mostly. Uh, you know, and I haven't checked the numbers recently, but you know, tell a friend, I think that's probably the most beneficial thing. And then we should probably be telling more people, although I'll be honest, like sometimes I'm like, I'm afraid to share this. It's like, it's like you ever like write a song and be like, Oh, let's hear it. And you're like, no, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's like a piece of me that I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to share with people sometimes. Cause then you know how I really feel about stuff. <laughs> it's probably the wrong answer. It's also kind of a bold move for a person who's actually podcasting to say, I'm podcasting and making this public, but I don't really want the public to know about it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of like, well, what's the point, right? It's almost like I have no problem with strangers hearing what I have to say, but then there's people that I know and then they're going to know what I really think and, and then they might other me or something. I don't know. I know the feeling, but I feel like I've also already been othered, so I may as well lean into it. There you go. Oh, I should grab my materials. All right, so tonight we are talking... The title is something about work. It's just kidding. It's not some uh, something about work. It's more like there's something about work. So I want to talk about work tonight. Now, uh, let me grab my books here. Now, so you've got a couple of books with you. I do. Um, and you know, I don't know that we'll get to all this. I have a lot of material here, uh, and some of that is because what I've been doing a lot lately is going to old sermons and that I, you know, we haven't talked about where it's just, excuse me. I mean, a lot of the sermons I've, I've taught or preached in the past. I mean, it's just, these are the things that I think. And so now I can bring them here and bounce them off you and, you know, get another take on it. And and then vice versa. I mentioned this from the pulpit uh, a couple weeks ago where it's, it's, it's interesting to preach on something that we've talked about in here, because again, mm-hmm. it's, I think, I think it's a little bit more refined. Um, and it's not just my thoughts necessarily. 
That being said, I hope I represented your thoughts well. I don't know if you recall. When I, I talked, do recall. I'm talking about wisdom. You did great. Oh, thanks. I needed that. It was a good sermon. So, th- thank you. So, we're going to talk about work today, and so part of where this is coming from is, again, I've talked about it, I've preached about it in the past, but it's also kind of come up again recently in some conversations I've been having, and I'll tell you something that occurred to me, or not occurred to me, happened to me recently that really kind of brought it up. And so, uh, for work, we went out of town, we went down to the Shiloh Battlefield to do what's called a staff ride. So, you go and visit these historical sites and you kind of talk the significance of those battles in their time and what lessons you can still take from them. And, um, it's really interesting. And we, they had, uh, historians from the, uh, army historic society, they're army historians, like they're paid by the army to maintain history. And they came down and talked us through the battle and took us to the different, different spots. So it was really, it was really cool. It was really insightful. Are they considered civilians? I believe so. Okay. Although they probably have some, what we call green suitors that work alongside them. I would assume. But either way, both of them were retired military, but they're civilians now. Okay. And so, anywho, all that's really an aside, because on the way home, we stopped at a small restaurant in, I want to say it was Franklin or Frankfurt, Tennessee. It was Tennessee, though, still. And so, we were looking at somewhere to eat, you know, maybe a little hole in the wall or something like that, and we found this place called Dan's Cafe. And, uh, man, you pull up, and it's one of those places where you're like, oh, man, is this going to be good? Or is this going to be a mistake? <laughs> but like everything, everything on the internet pointed it to being really good. And so we got in there and it's this little small, you know, probably family owned business. And uh, I'll tell you, the food was really good. And so, um, and I mean, it's just like a burger joint. Yeah. But, uh, towards the end of the meal. So there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's like nine of us between the two vehicles that we had driven, uh, in our little group. It was a larger event, but that was just the nine from like my, my group, my battalion. And uh, we're all sitting in there together. And so the lady comes up towards the end and she's like, so are y'all from out of town? It's like, oh, how could you tell? But uh, we're like, yeah, we're from the Clarksville area. And she's like, well, if you're going to be here tomorrow night, please come on by. It's going to be our last night. We're closing down after that. And, and, you know, we just get done with this really awesome meal. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so then the rest of the, what was left of the meal, we're just like, why do you think they're closing down? What's going on? And so somebody finally asked them. And so what they said is that, they're, ha- they're having to close down because they can't find help. They can't find people to come work. <clears throat> and so I was really, I mean, it's really upset about it because it's like, this is just this neat little restaurant that's going to go away, hopefully only temporarily, but who knows, maybe that's it, you know? And so I, I was thinking about work again, and I might be kind of jumping ahead to the end, but I, I think this is like one more thing that's, uh, um, you know, well, actually, let me. I'm going to pause on making that point. Have you had any situation? Have you had any experiences like that with this whole the pandemic mm-hmm. and the stimulus and all that other stuff? Just seeing places closed, mm-hmm. not being able to go into some restaurants to, to yeah. eat. Um, I, I think that I see more about it online than I've seen in person. Yeah, I mean, I, I I wonder about that because like we hear about the turkey shortage, but I mean, I've been to several grocery stores and it didn't seem to be any shortage of turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't hear about the turkey shortage. Oh, really? Yeah. I've I've heard about a lot more shortages than I've seen. Right. How about, uh, are there any other, are there any things you've been unable to get uh, potentially because of the economic situation currently, people not working? Th- there was some, some medicine that I was uh, trying to find, like some like homeopathic, like honey-based herbal, something or other that you can always get it. 
Walmart, Kroger, mm-hmm. Dollar General, and and it just wasn't wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, to- totally empty. There were other products, but not not the thing I was looking for. Right. Yeah, I've uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, you know, I think we all hear about kind of like you said, we hear more than we see tend to see, and maybe that's just because of this. Maybe this area is doing better than others. You hear about the 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 ships, you know, stacking up on the, yeah. co- the coast and. Yeah not being able to offload stuff fast enough and truckers not working. But I'll tell you one other example of this that I, I had uh, of this, I uh, had a friend tell me about. We have some friends in North Carolina and he works for what's called a, a packaging company. So, you know, if you're building a house, uh, generally speaking, the general contractor isn't going to call the siding people and the window people and the shingle people and, yeah. and this, that, and the other. They'll call a company like the one my, my buddy works for and then they, they, uh, uh, uh gather all that stuff up and package it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he was saying how one of the things that they've been having trouble getting is a certain type of clip for fastening siding. Oh, really? To the house. Right. Huh. And so something small like that makes it, uh, you know, puts us in a situation where we can't side houses. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, it's funny because I think those are the types of things that, you know, we probably weren't anticipating with, uh, the labor shortage, you know, I think a lot of times people might have thought that luxuries would go away, but it wouldn't be be things like that that could really just make life for for certain industries really really difficult. Right, part of that is the not understanding how almost everything that we have is luxury. Yeah. Number 1, number 2, I I think that not only does it speak to how th- there are a lot of people who have decided to not go back to work, right, for a variety of economic and and social reasons but we've also got a situation in which man i just totally lost my train of thought okay well i can say it's garbage so so i guess part of what i was thinking about when i was thinking about dan's cafe you know is i mean well okay let me let me let me start over here i have been known to say things like uh maybe your labor isn't worth all that much Okay. Uh, in conversations I've had with people. And by that I mean if you if you have uh if you're an unskilled laborer, I mean it, having having specific skills is what makes labor valuable. So if, if you're just a ditch digger, like yes, that that work is hard, but it's not scarce. And so I think it's it's like the element the the economic element of scarcity. Things being scarce is what makes them valuable. So if you have a generalized skill, one that can be uh found easily then then it's not worth that much that isn't to say that labor or work is not valuable you know in in any form it comes and and i guess that's part of what's interesting to me about this is we seem to have a a sect of society that uh they think that labor is everything you know like you can't do anything without labor which is odd to me because i think it's a complementary relationship right like well you don't without the idea Without the capital, you have no labor. There's no purpose for your labor. So to, to suggest that any one thing is important than the other, more important than the other, I guess it's not that it's not necessarily true. It's just which which of those things is more valuable. That being said, I digress. It's interesting to me that so many of these people think that labor is so valuable, yet want us to put it, want to put us all in a situation where nobody has to labor. And what are we missing out on by doing that? Oh, yeah, a lot, but. And the thing that I was going to say before, we'll, we'll, we'll come back 
to that, I think that we're seeing like the, the danger and the fragility of international commerce. What's been pushed down everybody's throats is is thinking big, thinking globally. Mm-hmm. Everything's got to be huge, multinational, whatever. Right. B- bigger, better, faster. And since those are the highest values, like whatever promotes bigger, better, faster must be the way that that the market should go. And I think that in the process, the market has been ma- manipulated. And so it's not actually been a true, like an actual organic market right. development. And so it, I, I think that what that is that's produced is a separation between life and labor mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people to where you don't actually see the fruits of your labor outside of a digital paycheck. Right. And, I, and so I don't, I don't, I think that it's possible for that to ultimately not be very satisfying. Yeah. But if you, if you can actually see the, the, the work of your hands or, or if you recognize how it's making a, a local impact, I think that it could be a, uh, a better situation. So w- one thing that I, I've asked recently I actually asked this a few years ago before before this whole like lockdown business. I asked our superintendent, like, why is it that we can't figure out some, or why are we not trying to figure out some way for Logan County farmers to feed our Logan County students? Hmm, that's interesting. Because there are school districts out there right now, not, I mean, actually ours to an extent. The, I, I did hear that, that our school district is having some trouble getting certain food shipments in. Right. Not, not to the point where kids are going hungry. But there's there's this recognition of some scarcity and, you know, uh, some some worrying about the situation. But we live in a rural agricultural community. So why in the world would that ever be an issue? Yeah, it's because like like why are we sending corn or like soybeans to China, for example, instead of or instead of figuring out how to efficiently use our, our land and farmers and, and resources to feed the people here man and this is a whole another rabbit trail we could go down but that's and i assume you're talking about school lunches right mm-hmm. and or breakfast as well sure yeah you guys do breakfast also we do. yeah so we're talking about taxpayers paying for kids schools lunch school lunches and breakfast right like <laughs> like i know this isn't going to be a popular thing but but when i hear that man like i'm not advocating for any kids to go hungry but, but surely, like, this is one of those things I've been having a conversation recently where I feel like the person I was talking to is like, you're, you're not, I said, the way I word it is you're not being an honest broker in this conversation. Like, it's like, you're not trying to see my point, you know, like certainly again, I don't, I'm not trying to say that kids should go hungry. And I realize that there are kids that are coming from like difficult, difficult home lives, but you do see, certainly you do see how we're also enabling that behavior, right? So mm-hmm. in, in this case, um, where when it comes to labor, that would be a labor that that somebody is not being uh, somebody's not being forced to conduct, and they're not they're not feeling the uh, the consequences of failing to do that job. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Does it? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Did you hear what I said? I feel like you didn't understand. I, I feel like I didn't make that point well. Anyway. Well, you're like you're saying that essentially that if if somebody is just getting handouts, that there's not going to be like appreciation there, and there's going to be like laziness that ends up working itself into that a system that's predicated on handouts. Yeah, right, right. So, um, I guess, man, you said something I, I was gonna pile on. Um, 
Oh. So w- w- when we think about <clears throat> Dan's Cafe, um, man, this is what happens. Like you, you I, I'm sure you do this too, where you start talking and like making mental notes. Okay, I'm going to come back to this and come yeah. back to that. And, yeah. then, and now I lost it. So when we think about Dan's Cafe, this is, I guess, what I, I was getting at. <clears throat> and again, this is where I'm kind of maybe jumping ahead to the end. What occurred to me is like, I think we might just have a moral obligation to work. Like, even if you find yourself in a situation where you can afford not to, i.e. maybe you're somebody who has great wealth, or maybe you're somebody who's receiving uh, government compensation such that you can live comfortably, you still need to work. Because at the end of the day, we're all mutually dependent on or interdependent on one another. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, you know, the, the example I've used before is like, you know, the, the, the chair maker versus the guy who grows apples. I've used that one to talk yeah. about money, right? Yeah. So if I make chairs and you grow apples, but now the government's giving me money, I, I mean, I'll just stop making chairs. Right. But then you're going to come to me and like, hey, man, I need a chair. Like, yeah, I don't make chairs anymore. The government's giving me money. And it's like, well, now where do I get chairs? You know? Right. And I do think that when you listen to high up people talk about the economy it really does seem like they think that stuff just happens to get like to just conge- like it's just there the product is just there right as as if yeah it just ma- magically appeared and it can magically get to wherever it is it's supposed to go to mm-hmm. and so they make decisions that don't that don't embody a recognition of the complexities of production and logistics. Yeah. And then stuff breaks. Okay. So like, what, what are we seeing? Right. Well, and man, here's the thing, right? Like if, if me not making chairs anymore, let's say, cause again, I don't want this to seem like I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to straw man this. I might be oversimplifying it to make a point, but, but I'm coming from a place of acknowledging that the economy is extremely complex. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have to find a balance between letting it do its thing and, and letting price reach an equilibrium naturally through the laws of supply and demand, while also knowing when we need to insert ourselves to make sure it's a, a fair playing field. And I think that's a very complex and difficult thing to do. And and if we just let it go on its own, it can be detrimental, right? But if we get to, uh, if if the government, let's say, gets involved too much, that also creates a lot of problems. I'm coming from a place of, of recognizing all that. So I'm not trying to straw man this, but I do need to simplify things to make a point. So if I'm saying, so let's say me not making chairs anymore, that's kind of like what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where it's like, oh, you might not be able to get Christmas presents as fast. Yeah. It kind of annoys me. But also I understand the argument of being conditioned to just expect less mm-hmm. um, and where that can lead. But what really frightens me is if you decide to stop growing apples. Yeah. You know, you can live without a chair, but it's not as easy to live without the apples. Correct. And so at the end of the day, the only reason I have time to make chairs is because you've decided to grow apples and now Mm -hmm. I don't need to worry about growing apples. Yeah. But as soon as people stop, uh, uh, carrying their weight, which is a verse we're going to get to here in a little bit, like it creates problems. Yeah. You know? All right, so, I mean, I have a ton of stuff here. I doubt we'll get to all of it, which is fine. Maybe I'll do a part two. 
what (laughs) (laughs) or three or four who knows there's numbers that go on to infinity so hey my next one is part five oh man this is true can't wait okay so the case for work um so i was listening to uh you know i I was had a podcast not a podcast sorry i was listening to pandora one day had it on some random like punk rock channel and this song came across that really caught my attention i think it speaks to maybe the attitude some days is it good charlotte it's not from a band called 19 haven't heard of them yeah the song is called movements but it's this real like angsty song you already said it's punk it can be angsty and punk well i mean like they they you say the one and the other is implied okay (laughs) i see what you're saying touche thank you so it's very angsty in fact it's not even singing it was like talking to a tune oh yeah what one of those yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to recreate it. I have the lyrics here ready. Here's how it goes. Someday I hope to make it clear to you that success is not determined by leather bound books and ink on paper. I wish people could see me as I go like this. <laughs> He's uh gestating what am I doing? Gesticulating. Gesticulating back and forth. But rather the passion that I have found out of heartbreak and anger. I know that happiness is stability, but stability is not a desk job, and I refuse to sacrifice my aspirations for an income and security. What the heck is security? See, I'd rather die at my fullest, poor but free to roam, than let an office drain me slowly for the sake of a home. Because I watched your endless intermission, an actor trapped in mediocrity, gave up on your ambitions and your convictions compared to mine. What a rigid dichotomy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so uh, what was the thing I wanted to read specifically I guess it was that last part I'd rather die at my fullest poor free to roam than let an office drain me slowly for the sake of home and I guess it was that part I know that happiness is stability but stability is not a desk job and I refuse to sacrifice my aspirations for an income and security like very I mean it's very angsty right? Right. right like your dreams and your ambitions are more important than paying the bills. Sounds like dude needs to weed the garden, <laughs> pick up some roots and rocks. Yeah. Somebody's dad didn't give me character building experiences growing up. Yeah, that's exact. So, I mean, it would, it would be kind of fascinating to see like what that cat's, uh, home life was growing up. Well, and, and I mean, he's probably making pretty good money making music, man. I don't want to disparage art. Like I think art's important. I mean, I like music. Yeah. Um, but it might also be one of those things where, man, and, you know, struggling musicians probably work. So I, I don't want to draw any conclusions, but it also just seems maybe out of touch or rooted in selfishness or, or something. Anywho, contrast that with the words of one Mike Rowe. Are you familiar with Mike Rowe? I've heard of Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. Dirty jobs, Mike Rowe. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. I I just think that the this story is so neat with him and and how I don't know if you've heard it before but how his grandfather was very handy and like he viewed him as really a great man and Micro was never uh he was not as handy and always but always wanted to be like him and always mm-hmm. just kind of valued that ability to well labor to work and to do things with your hands. And so uh after doing d- dirty jobs he's got a um uh what would you call it like a scholarship yeah uh foundation and so uh i want to read you something though off of his sweat pledge so the sweat pet pledge which stands for skills and work ethic aren't taboo (laughs) (laughs) um 
so he's got a lot of stuff in here and the sweat pledge you're supposed to sign before you are rewarded this scholarship. Um, and so I want to read, I mean, I could probably read a couple of these. Why not? We've got time. Number one, I believe that I've won the greatest lottery of all time. I am alive. I walk the earth. I live in America. Above all things, I am grateful. That's good. Number two, I believe that I am entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nothing more. I also understand that happiness and the pursuit of happiness are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Number three, I believe there's no such thing as a bad job. I believe that all jobs are opportunities, and it's up to me to make the best of them. Again, good attitude. I like this. Number four is the one I really wanted to, to point out, though, because I think it kind of contrasts well with this guy over here, right? Ambitions and aspirations. It says, I do not follow, this is air quotes, I do not follow my passion. I bring it with me. I believe that any job can be done with passion and enthusiasm. So I, I guess I want to submit as we as we kind of get into some of the Bible here that that's I think that's a biblical idea. Mm-hmm. What say you? What say ye? What say you? <laughs> I would say it's a very biblical idea. Okay. I mean, you've got work from the beginning, mm-hmm. and there's there's no there's no uh, there's no indication that work will cease even with the even with the return of Christ. Right. And there are specific prophe- prophecies about that time that talk about work, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I, I think I'll, I'll sort of let you go with, go with your scriptures and we'll see if they have, have a place either now or in the presumed part two. Well, you know, you said that it talks about work in the beginning, so I think you're going to be pretty happy where we're going first. Genesis. We're going to Genesis. Hey. hey. Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15. And, you know, this is one of those things where uh, you and I have talked about this before. In fact, I believe we sat on the back porch and talked about this one time at my house. So we just have to recreate that conversation a little bit. But uh, as as is usually the custom, once you get, go ahead and read it once you get there. Just 2.15? I mean, if you want to back up a little bit, you can. Okay. I don't know if you mm, need to. Yeah. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay. I guess that was pretty straightforward, huh? Yeah. So, so, so work predates the fall. So work predates the fall again. That yeah, and I think that's that was kind of the takeaway from this. So, man was created. I I guess we can infer from that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So, it's almost as though like we were purpose built for work. That seems to be the implication, right? And so again, you make a really interesting point that we're looking at two. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. So this predates the fall. So we don't get to the fall until... Chapter 3. Chapter 3. So man was already working. So even... Even... Man, and this would be such a good point to make to... I mean, I guess if... Well, I won't say I guess because I know they're out there. The Those, those that are Christians who would uh, claim communism... Right, like you, you, you strive for this utopia. I mean, I guess I, I don't want to necessarily. I mean, I, I think they probably understand the value of work. You know, I won't paint them in a totally bad light, but like we understand that even in you, the utopia in the Garden of Eden, man worked. I mean, what do you think the nature of that work was like, though? Like, do you think he didn't sweat? Well, it says he 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 worked the garden. Mm-hmm. He was. Uh, apparently taking care 
taking care of the plants, the, the, the animals, and, and there's no telling what, what work would come over time. Yeah. But there, I, like, I wouldn't say that work wasn't hard, but like, are, are we going to read about the fall? We are going to read about okay. the fall. Well, how about we go there and then like we can sort of put the two together. Okay. Well, actually, we got to get to one other thing first. I'm going to read 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So man was brought here to work. And then why was woman brought here? Also to work. Also to work. So both genders were there to work. And she was to be his helper. helper. Right. Which pretty clear. Is it? What's cl- what's clear? I think well that she's the helper. Okay. That there's Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that the, the, there are just all sorts of uh really woke takes that mm-hmm. that this uh conflicts with. Right. I agree. I I'm gonna jump ahead to 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 uh Proverbs thirty one real quick. Um, because I, I mean, I think we see other places in the Bible where not only is that maybe pointed out, but it's also kind of celebrated. So I've talked about this one quite a bit before, uh, Proverbs 31, it talks about epilogue, the wife of noble character. And so throughout this thing, I mean, I I don't know, I'm not going to try and read this whole thing. If you page through it though, some of the things it says about a woman of noble character, she works with eager hands. She gets up at night while she gets up while it's still night. Provides food, sits about her work vigorously. So, in, in other words, like she's no slouch, right? Right. Um, and I mean, I'll say, I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, with my wife specifically, like, uh, well, yeah, uh, definitely a woman of noble character, definitely no slouch. And and when I think of somebody who works with eager hands, particularly the gets up while it's still night, like that's her. That's not me. <laughs> unless there's a unless there's somebody at the door. In fact, unless unless there's somebody lurking about, then I'm then I'm wide awake. But if it's like kids crying and stuff, like um that that's her all day. Um so let's go back to Genesis two, twenty one through twenty five. Oh, I almost dropped my Bible. For those of you playing at home, I almost dropped my Bible. So the Lord God caused the man to fall twenty one through twenty five. Correct. Okay. So the Lord God call, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. I got a footnote there. <clears throat> he took part of the man's side. Okay. Uh, let's see. And closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman. Sorry, I'm looking at my footnote again. So we've got rib or part. Mm-hmm. So one or the other. Uh, that he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So I guess I, I, I only bring that up to say, man built for work, women woman designed to be a helper, in work and they leave their parents and unite unto each other and become one flesh. So functional unit for work. 
you know? And I mean, I think about that too, where I don't, it's not, not just limited to, to like physical toil, let's say. I mean, you think about like the Priscilla's and the Aquila's. Um, I think those are great role models for the other work that we should be doing mm-hmm. um, as Christians um, and how effective that, that uh, husband-wife combo can be in, in, the, in the conduct of that work, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Nothing? No, I lo- just absolutely. Amen. Okay. Ke- yeah. Keep keep going. All right. So the fall seventeen through, uh, three seventeen through nineteen, it says, to Adam he said, because you <laughs> understanding snakes already coming, snakes already here, talks into doing the bad thing. Seventeen to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Uh, sorry, commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it, food from it, all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. What did I say? Through 19. Yep. Uh, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right, so what do we take away from that? Work has become different. Okay. So we have painful toil. Right. Work has become frustrated. Like There are obstacles... It, so, you know, it's it's one thing to do work, mm-hmm. but it's another thing to run into problems while working. Mm-hmm. I I know I've seen me do it, <laughs> right? And and those problems can take all, all sorts of all sorts of uh, shapes and sizes and and forms and types. You know, it, it could be, man, th- this tree is bigger around than I thought, right? Or if you're trying to dig dig up like so like uproot something. I didn't like, think there'd be this many roots here or something. Right. Or the root goes deeper than, than I can reasonably dig. Yeah. Or, uh, it could be that doesn't fit mm-hmm. or I need another part, yep. which shoot, talk about the, 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 the miracles and the luxuries that, that, that we enjoy indoor plumbing. Mm-hmm. Like people, People don't have any idea, like, like, why in the world are people not thankful for, right? Like indoor plumbing, like, yeah. like consciously thankful for it. Like, do you realize how amazing that is? Yeah, I mean, you you probably do because you've been in situations where you've been without it. I mean, I mean, not only have I been without it, I've been in, been in places where it was almost like it's easier when you're completely without it, like you know you're going to be in the field and you're digging a hole or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've been in other situations where like there's plumbing kind of and it works intermittently. And, uh, you know, when it stops working, it's kind of like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> I mean, yeah, to, to be able to, to re reliably go into a room and use the, the facilities and know that they're going to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do them is, I mean, man, like there was a time where, you know, I was thinking about this today, actually. Um, you know, I mean, and this, this is probably an example of, uh, uh, what, what was the word? Historical snobbery or chronological snobbery? Chronological snobbery. Yeah. Like you know, there was a time in our country where the conditions. You know, I I don't know if the country like if we go back to like the let's say the twenties or even the late eighteen hundreds. I'm assuming this was still considered a first world country, but the standards by which folks were living then would be third world standards by by today's standards. 
Oh, that that was that was true in the state of Kentucky and in, in many rural places, like up through the the sixties and seventies. Right. The, 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 there are people who I know who didn't have indoor plumbing up into the early seventies. Right. And so there there are folks. That, I mean, I guess that that makes the point. Then there are so, there are so many people that are are not that far removed from a a far more uh like uh what's the word I'm looking for primitive time, let's say, you know. And so, I mean, it really is, which to your point, my dad always said, uh, every plumbing with every plumbing project, just count on at least two trips back to the store. Oh, easy. You know, <laughs> easy. But, but like the fact that the, that there, that there are parts available to, to, to bring the water in the house or if it breaks to, to be able to, to fix it. But then, you know, the, the, there are things that arise because it's so miraculous that have to be handled by a professional that, you know, just kind of a, a lay handyman might not be able to right. to figure out. But you go back to, to Adam and Eve, th- they were naked and unafraid, unashamed. So that tells you something about not just their, their, their innocence or their sinlessness, but about their situation. I was say about like the state of the world. Right. Th- there, there wasn't anything dangerous to them. Like the climate wasn't dangerous. The animals weren't dangerous. The plants weren't dangerous. They weren't, that they didn't present a threat right. to each other. And the work that they were going to do was such that it didn't require specialized clothing to protect them from the problems that they're going to run into. Well, and I wonder, man, I got, I'm going to put my finger here so I can come back to that. Yeah, it's interesting that you make that point because, I mean, there's a reality show called Naked and Afraid. Wow, that's a clear allusion to the scriptures. And why is that significant? Well, are you aware of the the context of this this particular it's, show? It's like Naked Survivor, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, I haven't watched it. Well, it's not uh, it's not Survivor, and I mean, it is a competition. It's less like Survivor in the, that there's daily competitions. Really, the competition is making it through the whatever it is, like twenty one days, um, you know, and having survived. And they put them in pairs. I'll tell you what's what's interesting. Like the couple times I've I've happened across it, like it's almost like uh, you make it through if you don't get dysentery, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, anyways, but you think about that. Like the reason that that show's significant is because, um, if you just dropped anybody into the middle of the wilderness, they are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then to go the extra mile to take remove take their their clothes away, like the you know, kind of like the most basic level of protection. So, I mean, that is, that it's interesting that that's significant. What do you think about this idea of painful toil, though? Like, painful, so we have toil, and then we have painful toil. Mm-hmm. So does the inclusion of that kind of qualifier mean anything about the nature of work prior to the fall, kind of what we were talking about a second ago? I would say it wasn't painful. So there was toil. Well, m- m- yeah, absolutely. There there was toil. There There would have been challenges that they would have faced. Now we don't know how long they, they, they were in the garden mm-hmm. in, in their unfallen state. And, and I, I, I've wondered about it, but I've never run across anything or, or found, found anything in the scriptures at all that would give me any sense of, mm-hmm. you know, was it, was it a day? Was it a, a week, month, year, decade? Like, what was it? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any, any idea, but w- one thing about that, that would speak to your question, I think is that w- to to the woman he said i will increase your pain in childbirth mm-hmm. so that that implies that pain would 
would have been could have been okay a something that that she would have experienced now what we don't know if there would have been any other kinds of pain but it does open the door to the possibility i think but but let's say that they they would have like before they fell if they would have had a child which i don't i don't think they did mm-hmm. um if they if they would have i think that eve's pain would have been Adam's introduction to pain and that he would have felt pain too. Yeah. Which is interesting that, that, you know, because usually we think of that this is going to be maybe overly simplistic or or stereotypical, but maybe we can just go with it. Don't we usually think of men as enduring physical hardship Mm -hmm. and women enduring emotional hardship? Sure. I, I, I think that that's not too unfair. Yeah. Maybe overly sim- simplistic, but since we do know that her childbirth pain would be increased, greatly increased even because of the fall, and and therefore the, the implicit possibility of pain in childbirth in the unfallen state, we would have had the the woman enduring physical pain and the man enduring like that vicarious mm-hmm. pain. Yeah, which that that's just that's interesting. I, I don't really know where to go with that, but. It seems that, that a lot was inverted, a lot was yeah. was was upset, a lot was disrupted. Everything was, but by by the fall and the resulting curse. There's a part of me where I wonder with this idea of painful toil, because I mean, you think about you know, I mean, we say something like is a labor of love, right? Like if I if I'm in the garden and uh, I have nice uh, tilled soil and it's easy to go out there and plant and weed and stuff like that, like. I mean, I guess I'm toiling, like I'm, I'm out, out in the elements, I'm working, I'm probably sweating, but it's not as hard as if, you know, I'm working really compact soil with lots of weeds and things like that. Like, I wonder if there's any element, element of it there. Again, probably overly simplistic. Like if something somehow changed to where, like, did, did the nature of nature change here, uh, in, in this instance, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to dig a hole. And it's another thing to try to dig a hole through rock. Right. Like it, it's it's one thing to plant seeds. I mean, prepare the soil for the planting of seeds. Mm-hmm. And it's another to be tackling huge, rooty weeds right. with big thorns. So, so we see, I guess, to kind of sum this up, part of the fall men women here to work after the fall still working it's just that there's been a difference and so i mean we see toil toil equals work um and so i want to talk about something else here though it says you will eat but only through work is that what it said you will eat food from it through through painful toil you will eat food from it right so so then the work became tied to survival right whereas i think before the fall it was obedience that was tied to survival. Mm-hmm. So this reminds me of something else. Um, let's turn over to Second Thessalonians three ten real quick. This is a little little bit of an aside. Second Thessalonians three ten. Who read last? Was it you or me? I think it was me. I th- yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Are you there? Just three ten. Yep. For even even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. 
If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. So like in my note here, I put, you will eat, but only through work. Sound familiar? Yeah. So no reference, but it sounds like 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So again, we see in the New Testament this idea of work being tied to eating and vice versa, eating being tied to work. And so I, I thought that was interesting. So um, I have a, another section here, and we're actually going to go over to, we, you can kind of skip ahead here, First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. First, second Thess- or sorry, First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, and just put your finger there, and I'll mention it here in a second. So this might be just the world according to Byron. So when I, when I read through that, you know, you'll eat but only through work. Sound familiar? Talk about man who does not work shall not eat. So, well, I scored low in altruism. Like I took one of those per- <laughs> personality tr- tests, uh, much like everyone in my profession. And so, um, you know, I, I think I've talked this about this before, but when I discuss uh, duties with guys at work, one of the things I'll talk about is uh, – bearing a burden versus pulling your weight. And I don't know if this is something I came up with and then saw it in the Bible or vice versa. But, you know, I mean it both literally and then also metaphorically. And so, you know, in our job, in my job, there's a, there's a, what we call equipment common to all. So, you know, when we go to do something, there's some, there, there, there are certain things that everybody's expected to wear, right? Probably mm-hmm. things you would expect helmet, body armor, clothes. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes that stuff needs to be put out because when you have new guys, they might think that certain things aren't necessary. And so you need to ensure that those things are there. But a lot of it also is when you're um, calculating load bearing, like when you're when you're uh, considering the weight that everybody's carrying, you have to consider equipment common to all, and then you can start adding special equipment. Um, and so... Uh, and, and, and I guess I'll just say this, and there's been a lot of studies done on this. In fact, uh, those that have been in the military, the Army specifically, uh, the, the, the number 35 pounds is used quite a bit when it comes to, like, moving under load, so moving under a rucksack. And uh, it's interesting because it's one of those things, like, you, you know, you've heard me talk about this before where we have certain institutions and we may not know why they're there anymore, so we need to be very careful to do away with them, right? So it's kind of the whole uh, Chesterton's gate. Like, yeah go away and think about it. And then when you can tell me why it is, why it's there, maybe I'll let you get do away right. with it. I think the idea of 35 pounds is probably one of those. Like I've seen discussions on that. Like, where does this number come from? So the army actually did a study on load bearing back in, I think it was the forties or it might've been prior to world war two actually. And so it's really this, it's, it's kind of like the uh, armor versus mobility conversation that we continue to have today where it's like how much weight can we put on a soldier and have them still be effective and so 35 pounds was the number they came on came up with for most soldiers to be able to move under and still be effective in you know carrying out an attack okay and so i say all that to say so we have equipment common to all that everybody is expected to carry right like nobody would say like hey man can you carry my body armor like people would be like are you serious like (laughs) no man carry your own body armor right like it's got to be a pretty uh pretty dire circumstances before anybody's carrying your body armor probably you're wounded let's say right right but then there's special equipment so the special equipment is stuff where you start piling it on and it can get heavy right so if i'm carrying a rifle which is about uh you know 10 
10 to 15 pounds, let's say, with all its uh, optics and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and you're carrying a machine gun, which is 28 pounds, that's a lot different. Particularly when I can carry mine on my hands and yours is like <laughs> when I was on the machine gun team, my machine gunner would be like, hey, man, I'm the one carrying this 28-pound necklace, <laughs> you know, because it's like draped over his neck. Like I would say in that situation, you're bearing a burden, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's a difference between pulling your own weight and bearing a burden. And so, um, and I think we kind of see that here, that there's this balance in the Bible that we need to find between benevolence, but also like pulling your own weight, like not personal responsibility, right? Helping people bear a burden versus, uh, uh, yeah, keeping them from bearing their own weight. So First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12 says, where was it? Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win respect of outsiders, and so that you will uh, will not be dependent on anybody. Oh, that's not the one I was thinking of, but we can probably talk about that also. Because there's definitely another verse. Doggone it, that's not the one I thought it was. Um, I guess I will say this about that verse, though, is we do see that you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you to. So we see this this situation where we're being, we are being being called to work, right? So that so that you're not dependent on anybody, right? So that that's really interesting because, in in the book of Acts, we see that believers were were selling stuff and putting it at the disciples' feet, and and they, you know, they 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 shared a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's that that's interesting because, you know, it's it's possible that. Somebody could take that too far or not far enough. Yeah. Like the thing about, about sharing, mm-hmm. I, like I've heard it used, I, I think very out of context to, to try to support the idea of communism being a Christian concept. Right. Which, which I, I, I don't, I don't think that that's what that's about at all. But here we have the, the directive to not be dependent on anybody. Yeah. So if, if we're supposed to be sharing and yet not dependent on anybody, mm-hmm. what what does that suggest? We're supposed to be sharing and not dependent on anybody. I I don't know because I almost think about the thing you were talking about the other week where we're all kind of anybody who can who what did you say? It's like anybody who knows how to do something you don't know how to do, like you are somehow in a way beholden to them, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. But are you? Because I guess if you had the time and the willpower or the the inclination, you could just learn how to do that thing. But I mean, it's at, at, it's going to be at the expense of something else, right? right. Yeah. And so if I'm I'm just trying trying to put this together, if we were sharing everything that we had in a in a very open and extreme sense. Mm-hmm. It would be really easy for that to turn into laziness. Yeah. But here it says to work with your 
work with your hands. It sounds like so that you can share, so that you're you, so that you're you're in a situation in which, yeah, you, like you're able to share, and and you're not you're not expecting somebody to do stuff for you that you should be doing. Right. So, so again, like, like work, like everybody's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And when everybody works, everything is better. Yeah. For everybody. Man, it's almost like, and, and when that doesn't happen, it can make, it can make looking out for your own self interest itself a burden. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, at that point, it's just everybody fending for themselves effectively, I mm -hmm. suppose, right? Or or they're dependent on one another. I don't know. That's interesting. It's really bothering me, though, that I can't find this verse. There's this verse that says basically what I just said, the idea of... And I thought that's where my notes were going. It's almost All like, right, so, so say it again. Maybe I can help you figure it out. So it's the idea of... Uh, it's basically, it was this idea of pulling your own weight versus bearing a burden. Like there's okay. a, there's a verse on that and I can't remember what it is. I thought it was, am I in the right place? First Thess Thessalonians four, nine through 12. How about you love one another? Where's my phone? I gotta look it up. Okay. Well, could it have been either a little bit before or after one of the last couple references? Sure. What do you got? Uh, let's see. We hear we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. That's a good one. <laughs> That's not the one. Yeah. What is positive about bearing each other's burdens? That's numbers, Exodus. I mean, but bearing burdens sound, sounds more New Testament than Old Testament to it me. It does. What's Second Corinthians eight thirteen through fourteen? I'm going to fix this in post. Second Corinthians eight, eight thirteen through fourteen. I mean, that's pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah. You want to read that? Sure. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Hmm. Oh, wait, so equality isn't total similarity or equity. Mm -hmm. It's that those with much don't have too much and those with little don't have too little. That And, and that, that quote at the end of the passage is from Exodus 16, it says. Yeah. But that's still not what you were looking for. No. I get Galatians 6, 2 carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ if anyone thinks they are something when they are not they deceive themselves nope I should have I should have proofread my notes better 
That's what happens when I reuse things that I've used in the past. I think I know what it is, and then I get to something like this, and it's like, what? That's not what I meant. Because we might have to move on at some point. Uh, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his simple nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Yeah. Those are all good. That's not the one I meant. I thought I'd be in here later. Anyways, it's whatever. We'll move on. I guess so. Something I will circle back to, though, that you had mentioned, too, is the idea of, of toil and, and, and coming across problems and how that might have changed. But, you know, it's interesting. This, is I think, is probably one of the benefits of, of work. So I think kind of what we're, we're talking or speaking to right now is this idea of how my work benefits me, right, looking out for my own self-interest. Mm -hmm. But it also can benefit you. Uh in that you can take advantage of my labor and the exchange of money and things like mm -hmm. that for sure. But then also, um, there's this element of how we're independent, we're interdependent on one another, right? So if I'm making chairs and you're busy growing apples, I know where to get apples, you know where to get chairs. Um, but then there's also, I think these other, uh, maybe less tangible benefits to work. Um, and, and one of those is in, uh, problem solving, let's say. So, you know, like you said, like I come across a problem when I'm I'm doing work, and you might say that 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 is a a mini trial. And again, we we probably talked at length before on the benefits or, or what what trials create, right? Because it cre creates perseverance and perseverance character. Character character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Right. So, man, like if we have a plumbing issue, it's tough. It's tough to deal with not having plumbing. Um, but we sure appreciate the plumbing a whole lot more once we get it working again. And then if you take it upon yourself to correct that issue yourself, you know, you do that, that work. I mean, what are, what are the other inherent benefits to be gained from that work? And I mean, I, I want to say that that's part of it is overcoming that trial and being better equipped to, to deal with uh, a similar problem in the future, let's say. Right. I think a part of it too is that we're, we are, we're narrative driven. Okay. That's, that's the way that, that we think. Yeah. We, 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 we think in terms of, of story. And the thing about every story is that there's always something to overcome. Yeah. And so I think that that would have been the case even before the fall, since we know that work was a thing, like work is something to accomplish. And if you're trying to accomplish it, then there's, there's a goal at the end. And so there's, there's there's motivation that goes into that uh but but again the, the difference is the the insertion post fall of or the introduction of conflict into that storyline mm -hmm. so any any time that we encounter a problem and we overcome it well that's that's good because that's we're participating in the story and and recognizing it mm-hmm so people who don't work don't have the satisfaction of overcoming problems. Yeah. Okay, so I guess one other thing I, point I'll make, kind of going back to this idea of, uh, you know, pulling your own weight versus um, bearing a burden. I was watching uh, an old 
um, video for uh, Milton Friedman. He was on Donahue. I remember that show, Donahue. Donahue. Way back in the day. And so they're going back and forth. Of course, Donahue's trying to understand, you know, Friedman's views on capitalism. And uh, they had an interesting exchange. And so uh, it sounds it went something like this. So Donahue asked him, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed is a good idea to run on? And Friedman responds, well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know of that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. The world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. And so I just thought that was an interesting point because it kind of speaks to this idea of, uh, again, so seeing to your own self-interest as opposed to, to actual actual greed. Um, and, and so, again, kind of more along the lines of the, the scripture that I can't find that I'm talking about or what I spoke to earlier, this idea of, bearing your weight pulling your weight versus bearing a burden and how when you don't pull your own weight what the second and third order effects are of that could be on your community right um and i, I think that's the thing that that where we have to be careful when, when we discuss these things because i mean i've said this before like uh love is the balance of justice and mercy and i think it's easier for us to look like the over-application of justice and how that's totalitarian and the problems with that. But I think there's a lot of folks in our, our world now where, like, who've never considered what the over-application of mercy creates. I think it probably looks a lot like not only bearing somebody's burden, but pulling their weight for them. Mm-hmm. And what are we depriving them of in doing that? Right. Well, either, either one becomes a tyranny when... Uh, just out, out, out of balance. Mm-hmm. That's you, per, you. You have said it before. You put first thing second. You get neither. Well, and from the standpoint of work, like totalitarianism, when it comes to work, what does that look like? I think it probably looks like slavery. Sure. Right. So if we go to the opposite end, what does that look like? Also slavery. Okay. How so? Well, because it's if you have a, a situation where nobody has to work and, and and all their needs are provided maybe well they're 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 still slaves because like whatever it is that the that the hierarchy says that they have to do even if that means you stay home and do nothing mm-hmm. or or maybe it's assent to a particular set of you know beliefs that that's still slavery well but i guess i was wondering if you might go this way with it because this is something i've thought about because there is no such world where nobody has to work Right, like they say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Like that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. Right. Like if it doesn't cost money, it costs opportunity. If yeah. nothing else, like there's an opportunity cost at least. Right. So with slavery, like with with okay, so an over the over application of justice when it pertains to work, that probably looks like slavery. So somebody working for free while somebody else doesn't, mm-hmm. and the over application of mercy probably also looks like slavery. Because it means somebody is working while somebody else isn't. Right. So so there would there would still have to be slavery. Right. But I, I'd say that there there's there's more than one kind, or maybe the slavery that exists for the producers would be a threat to the to the ones who are getting the handouts. Right. Like you do what we say or you become like them. Correct. Which you see that in in, in every 
dystopian novel like that that's that's an aspect Mm -hmm. of it you you have the slaves and then you have the slave drivers well and again not to oversimplify things however i don't think this is i i I was accused of this being dystopian my point to the, the 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 person i was talking to with my again apple grower versus chair builder mm-hmm. philosophy or, or or example i stopped making chairs you stop growing apples at some point somebody's going to go well this is a problem you guys get back to work and so now you're being forced to work right in fact not only are you going to be forced to work we'll decide which work you're doing well and they're going to take all the chairs and all the apples right and so um i it's, mean that's, it's it's what happened in ukraine well, I, I guess my point is there's there's no escaping work at some point. Right. But I think the other thing where this is dangerous is if you look at it, all these things, when we use that word greed, I think we're on a very slippery slope because, I mean, where where what's the limiting factor there, right? So you'll have somebody that's like these business owners. They're just greedy. They just want more money. And it's like, okay, well, what about you? Why are you working? Because you just want to eat. Right, because at the end of the day, your desire to eat is based in greed. Well, no, like there's obviously a difference between you looking out for your self interest and that business owner looking out for his self interest, and probably, again, if we're being fair, also looking out for your self interest. Because I think that's where uh, folks on that side tend to get 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 dystopian, and 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 part of part of uh, part of the benefit is is in you getting i'm going to say getting to having the benefit of working um and i've talked about about this before because like again i think we know where greed we see examples in the bible we know where greed can get out of hand um i think this idea of of covetousness i've talked about before and this idea of just this like predatory greed and then certainly there's also like uh, a pointless accumulation of stuff that's mm-hmm. also a form of greed like those those are problematic but there's certainly there's got to be a happy medium um between you know where you're you're taking care of yourself and then also helping others bear burdens mm-hmm. um and i don't think there's anything inherently greedy in that uh and at the end of the day like and the work that you're doing there Man, even though you may not be as compensated as much for your labor as somebody else is, that work is still good. I guess, yeah, in and of itself. Yes, no. Well, is is that something that you you, you run into like in, in the military? Because like I know the military is a little bit different, but the government is notorious for having people on the payroll who don't pull their weight. Yeah. So do, do, do you run into that? Well, yes. And I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's, man, let me think about that. I was thinking about this the other day because in the military, you know, we have pay grades and you can go on the internet and see what everybody's getting paid. Right. You know? So if you have a staff sergeant in the army, he's an E six and there are E sixes in the Marine Corps. There are E sixes in the Navy. And uh, you know what? I'll, and I'll even just keep it to one service. So if you have a staff sergeant in the army who, you know, let's say he's, I don't know, special forces or something like that, 
His base pay is the same as like an x-ray technician. That's base pay though. I mean, there are incentive pays for for those those jobs, the special forces jobs. So you could argue that he's being compensated, you know. But uh and but but then your 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 wage is also not tied to performance though, you know. So there's every there there are folks that will say that the uh there there are soldiers I've I've had soldiers or, or uh, other guys that I've worked with who who say that there are people who treat the army as like a as a welfare. Yeah. You know. So that answer your question? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think so. But yeah, I was I, I was just wondering about you know how laziness can factor into into a workplace and and just the the situations there and and the government being stereotypically, you know, you know like the expression like government worker or you know, uh, like road uh, road paver or something. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like the, those those stereotypes. Yeah. And if that was something that you saw. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, that might be something where maybe in the military as a whole, you know, I, I guess I can be, <laughs> despite what I said, I can be a little bit altruistic. Yeah, and I know that your situation is different. Well, like because of who you work with. Right, and I think there there's definitely guys that, and I, I think this is probably common throughout the army though, where 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 guys are doing jobs a pay grade above theirs, but they'll do it. Yeah. And where else in the world will that happen? And people won't be like, you know, if some, like if a business was like, Hey, we want to give you some more responsibility. And you're like, do I get a raise? And they're like, no. Yeah. Like, well then no, thank you. You know, but in the army it's commonplace. And so I think there is probably, uh, there's something to the, the, the population that we're, we're talking about that that's probably significant on the one hand, but certainly there are folks who are, you know, they're going to, I mean, it's salary obviously, but they're going to punch in and punch out and they're not going to do anything else other than what's expected of them. And, you know, or if that particularly the ones that are, you know, just biding their time till they get out. So, yeah, but you know, there is something really attractive about that though. Like, like a job that you don't ever have to think about except when you're actually there. Yeah. Right. But that's, that probably leads to some of the problems like Dan's cafe. Mm -hmm. It, you know, yeah. Not, not having, enough help yeah. to even keep going. Yeah, I mean, but so when we start talking about that, right, like kind of going back to Mike Rose thing, right, like I do not follow my passion. I bring it with me. I believe that any job can be done with passion and enthusiasm, right? So, I mean, man, I realize that there's guys who don't, well, like let's let's say this. I'm a professional soldier. And by that I mean, like I'm very passionate about my job. I don't have to just I'm not I don't just stop thinking about it when I go home, you know? Like I can't I can't really can't help it. Yeah. Like I'm always thinking about better ways to do whatever it is we're doing cuz I enjoy it. Um and so I might be very fortunate in in that uh that my job happens to also be my passion. So maybe I I'm not speaking from a place that may, maybe that's not maybe I'm not it's not fair that I'm making this point. However, I will say this. I've had jobs within the military that I wasn't super like they weren't my favorite, but I still tried to do them the best I could. Right. Because I knew, uh, like I, I, I knew the, the, the weight of, of the situation and what would happen if I didn't, mm-hmm. you know? And there's also an element of personal pride. I mean, it's my reputation and, and stuff like that. And so 
I mean, is that a little bit about what Micro is talking about here, though, where it's like, you know, if if your job defines you, your job has to be your passion. Like, or, or if you're expecting the job to to impart that on you, then maybe you have the wrong approach to work. You should be using should you be using your work as an outlet for your passion, or somehow like uh, channeling your passion into whatever it is you're doing? And at some point, then it just becomes like, I don't know, like reciprocal where you're putting passion to the work, the work gets better, more fulfilling. And, and I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it also reminds me of of, of Paul being a tent maker. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he paid his own way by, by working on top of all, all the ministry he was doing. Right. And I, I think I had some notes in here about that. I don't remember, but... I mean, to me, that's that's significant. Like, I don't know, I don't know. I, I I would assume that's not lost on most most people. But I mean, you think about this is a person who, by for all intents and purposes, did not have to work, according to their traditions, but he did. Right. Like, why? Why do you think that is? Well, he's he's clear about why he did that. Mm-hmm. He he wanted it to be obvious that he wasn't peddling the gospel for profit. Right. Well, I mean, that's what we were just reading, wasn't it? That's 2 Thessalonians. That's what he's talking about. Uh, it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And so, I mean, I was, that, that, that was always so profound to me, this idea that even, uh, what does it say? We did this not because we do not have the right, Right, so that's speaking to like rights the apostle. We could probably get into that. Yeah, uh, that's three nine. Do I have a note here? Where does that actually come from? Uh, I'm not seeing it quickly, but um, hold on a second. Three nine, three nine. Anyways, um, but like like it says there, like so that they wouldn't be a burden. And I also wonder because that's probably maybe Paul being smart. He knew that was the accusation somebody would throw at him. Right. Right. Like, you're only preaching the gospel because you'll know you get a free meal out of it. Yeah. Or something like that, you know? But also, like you said, he's a tent maker. And so, I mean, Paul is providing so much to these communities he's going to in the way, in the realm of like like meeting their spiritual needs. But then you think about that. Like if he's helping make tents, which, speaking of which, Priscilla and Quilla, also tent makers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think they were. Yeah. Right. But he's also helping like provide physical shelter to folks as well. You know, I don't know. I just think that's neat. Yeah. So, so tent maker, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't really have any comment about that, but it just makes me want to know a little bit more about that, that, that thing. Like who, who are these tents for? Like who would, you know, just more, more of the context. Mm-hmm. So I like, that's just something else to look into. Right. Yeah, I, I had some. I had a thought on. It's not a complete thought, so I'll save it. <laughs> All right, so you'll here, save it for part two, probably. What? How long have we been going? Uh, 
Not sure. It's 8.37. What does it say right there? Hold on a second. We'll fix it in post. One hour, 22. Okay. Let's go. Let's go eight more minutes. Make it an All even right. hour, 30. That's fair enough for your first, first time back in a while, it right? Is. Um, I mean, we can't get too far, but I, I wanted to talk about... Uh, I told I've told you about this book before, the Bronze Bow. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I've I've read another book by that author that's that's really good. Have you? Yeah. So this book's great, and it's interesting because it talks about these these Jewish kids uh, at the time of Christ, but um, they get they get pretty heavy into maybe some Jewish custom and and specifically the work, and so it's called the bronze bow and so that's coming from a specific scripture in psalm we can turn over there real quick psalm 1834 so psalm 1834 this scripture was kind of their i guess uh their 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 mantra if you will psalm 18 what did i say 1834 um in the book and so in the book these kids are they, they kind of come become affiliated with the zealot movement, but then there's this twist at the end where uh, they interact with Jesus and he kind of maybe uh, points them to the things that really matter. Um, so 1834, it says, and I think it was my turn, so if I could hurry up and get there. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Um. And so I guess I talked a little bit about what the story is about. So again, it's these two kids, or these three three kids are the kind of the main characters. Uh, the main character, uh, geez Louise, whose name escapes me. I know there's Joel. It's, goodness gracious, what's this kid's name? Daniel. Daniel. So Daniel's a blacksmith, and he interacts with these two uh, other kids, Joel and uh, um, his sister, whose name escapes me also. Where is it? Anyways. So Joel's uh Daniel's a blacksmith but Joel is um he's he's essentially training to be a rabbi. And so I guess if we got 8 minutes left I'll I'll read a little bit about this but I think what I want us to kind of understand is maybe the difference between these two but how there's also still a requirement for work. Okay? So when Joel and Daniel first meet, the interaction goes something like this. So they're asking, like, hey, what do you do? You know, because that's what men ask, right? Like, so what do you do? <laughs> he says, what's your trade, he asked. And Joel says, I'm still at school. I'm going I'm going to go on to be a rabbi probably, but I, sta- I studied sandal making too. I could, I could earn my living in it, but I'm sorry for the man who has to wear sandals. Daniel nodded. Of course, Joel would be a rabbi. He had always been the smartest boy in school, but even a rabbi must learn a trade like any other man. Hmm. And so later it kind of describes some of uh, so Daniel's working conditions. So as a zealot, he's living up in the hills, and so he brings a, another blacksmith that he meets up in, in town, Simon, which I believe in this story it's meant to be Simon the Zealot. Okay. So yeah. one, of the, one of the apostles. <clears throat> And so he's got Simon the Zealot up in the hills showing him his setup. And, and so proudly Daniel showed Simon his forge. He knew he had reason to be proud of it, but it was gratifying to see Simon's surprise. He had discovered in his first year on the mountain patches where the soil was rusty with iron. Gradually he had learned to smelt it, constructing an oven against a rocky wall, lining it with clay, and devising a primitive sort of bellows from a pair of goat skins. 
This is very good, said Simon, poking at a lump of ore that lay cooling in the ashes. No wonder you have muscles. Um, and so, I mean, these boys are coming from two different worlds, but in both, both, both worlds, this requirement for work is there. And, and I mean, it's interesting when you think about what, what we read there with Daniel, where it, you know, it says that, you know, as a blacksmith, he, let's see. So he discovers the ore, learned to smelt it, constructed an oven, uh, and then divided, devise a primitive bellows and then probably some like primitive tools as well. And so, man, like this might be getting too into the weeds, but what's the what's the modern blacksmith's job like? Like they're not smelting iron, right? Right. That's somebody else's job, you know. Like, like that's a division of labor. That's that's somebody else working. Somebody else smelts the ore, so that the blacksmith only has to worry about doing blacksmith things. Right. The the actual fabricating. Mm-hmm. Not the smelting. Right. Probably. I mean, and generally speaking, like most people that are blacksmiths nowadays probably aren't, you know, casting their own anvils or constructing their own tools or, or, or whatever the case may be, you know? But ho- hopefully they could. Hopefully, I suppose. Well, but what does that look like now? Like, you know, could most welders build a welding machine? N- yeah, probably not. No. Um, and so I don't know, this is probably like yet another, another nod to the idea of like, we really just don't appreciate how easy we have it. Oh yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Like I, I just built <laughs> how I spent my Thanksgiving vacation. Like I, I built a, a new goat stable. Mm-hmm. M- mostly I still got to put the metal on the sides, but the reason that, that I was able to do it relatively quickly, like shoot how many hours do i have in that thing it's eight by 12 so not huge but like you know good good size Mm -hmm. it's a lot bigger than like an outhouse you know it could comfortably accommodate four four or five goats yeah but like i i got these i found these spikes that 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 go into the ground to hold a four by four post Uh so i i didn't have to uh i didn't have to dig holes okay I mean, like I did have to like like lay it out square and like even make sure that the posts themselves were were, were plumb to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had to do all that. Yeah. But so like I, I was able to just stick the four by fours in those posts and you know bolt them into the to those anchors and like all all the boards that I attached to to construct this thing, like I screwed them. Mm-hmm. I just used a power drill. And star bit screws, and it it's relatively easy. Yeah. But the fact that building something like that was easy, like relatively, is 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 a miracle. Yeah. It it show it makes it look like I have more skill than I really do. Right. I mean, and in, in some sense, you're standing on the shoulders of all those that came before you, right? And then everything right. you use is the accumulation of other people's labor and ideas. And like, thank God for that. You know, mm-hmm. and so I guess the last point I want to make with this is like, this will be the sum up of, this is how we'll sum up part one and then we'll get to part two when we get to it. So first, so we have this, we have these two boys here. One is, is studying to be a rabbi, which says something about his social standing or where he falls socio on the socioeconomic spectrum. And then also 
uh, about his competence, right? Because he had to have done done well in school. Yeah. And we'll get to some of those details. And then we have this other guy who is a blacksmith for like an insurgency, effectively. And sounds like a pretty darn good one, considering mm-hmm. the stuff that he made was managed to scrape out of that mountainside. But when we look at Daniel and this idea of the work he's doing, so this kid looks at some soil, says, "I think there's ore in there. I can smelt it." Finds a way to smelt it to pull out pull out the actual iron itself. Constructs himself some bellows and and some tools to do what to make weapons to support his insurgency. Like we can see how that work is beneficial. Like, yes, certainly it's beneficial to him, but it's also beneficial to his movement. Mm -hmm. Right. But what about this kid training to be a rabbi? Why does he need to know how to make sandals? Just because he has to, just because he has to. Well, I mean, it's, it's a requirement apparently for a rabbi to have a trade, but it doesn't seem like he's actually planning on using the, using that skill. But why do you think that requirement's in place? We don't have to answer that now, I guess. Yeah. Unless you can do it briefly, I suppose. Well, I I guess that that requirement would be there so that uh, people who who are going into the spiritual training still have like a grounding in in, in practicality, you know, like real life, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But like I, I just said that because like the previous statement, because it doesn't seem like he's really worried about being that good at making sandals because he knows he probably won't really have to do it. Right. But the requirements there, and I, I guess what I'm saying is, and this is, this is how I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up is I imagine, and, and I think we'll find this cause I have some sections from some Talmudic teachings to talk about this. Oh, cool. I imagine that the reason that somebody who's going to be educated and otherwise skilled still needs to have a trade is because there's just something about work. There's just something about work. There it is. Hey, was that, was that beneficial? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Any closing thoughts? No. All right. Well, well, Canaanites, is that what we call (laughs) it? (laughs) Well, Canaanites, thanks for listening to us. Wow. (laughs) I hope Canaanites. It's, I hope it's a good first episode back, uh, and we will look forward to talking to you all again next time. I don't really have any other final thoughts, uh, and we'll get into part two of something about work. You know, if you do have other thoughts, mm-hmm. you can insert them in post. I will not do that. But what I will do next time is come prepared with the scripture that I was trying to find so that we can tie a bow on that, and I can show you that I'm not just making stuff up. Yeah. All right. All right. You want to close us out? Yeah. Uh, Lord, thank you for, for another time to talk about the scriptures together. And so I pray that you would help us and, and, and bless our work and help us to do our work as heartily as unto you and bless all those who, who hear and would they seek you and be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>